Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. So in this, in this season of messages, we're now predominantly wrestling with this broader question. The question is, are we a saint or are we a sinner? Are we saints or are we sinners? I, I hope that you've had time to, to process that question this last week, that that's become a part of your meditation as you've engaged with God and you've you know, kind of evaluated your own heart and hopefully you've evaluated the scriptures as well and, and just really begun to, to, to wrestle with him in that place, especially in light of what we learned last week out of, I was going to say Galatians, I don't know why that's in my mind. You know, although that's pretty good, right? Uh, what is it? Romans 3, goodness sakes, thank you, Lord. Out of Romans 3. And, and one of the things that we learned was that we were acquitted, right? And so with that, we, we posed a couple of other leading questions, things to be pondering in this season. Uh, identity questions, we'll see those on the board there. Let's take a look at those in review. You know, number one, uh, since we've been acquitted, we find that again in Romans chapter 3, um, among many other places. You know, what does this acquittal do for us? Does it change anything? And hey, listen, a good practice, by the way, this is something I'm still uh, learning to do. My, my wife is so exceptionally good at. You know, most of us forget that we've got the most powerful tool that's ever been created in our pocket, that called the smartphone. You know, and so, you know, when we've got questions posed like this, man, whip out your phone. If you want to meditate on that this week, and I encourage you to do so, zoom in and take a snapshot of that. That way you don't have to text me. <laughs> Not that I mind, but that's a great way to do it. What does this acquittal do for me? What does it do for us? Does it, does it change anything? Is there a difference in my life, my freedoms, or even my responsibilities, now that the judge, that's the father, has rendered me completely innocent? Do I look different? Has something changed before and, and after the cross? All right. The next question we were pondering as of last week, this is kind of where I left you, just as a way of reminder here. Uh, if I was accused of being a sinner, but was actually acquitted or found innocent of that crime, does being a sinner then still define my identity? So if I was accused of being a sinner, and I go to court, the judge pounds his gavel and says, you're not a sinner, does his declaration, does his acquittal change my identity? Does it speak to my identity at all? You're looking at me like you haven't pondered these questions this week. <laughs> Here's the trouble we come into. And if you were pondering it this last week, you probably came into this in your own hearts. The trouble we have is that if I was genuinely a sinner, was anybody in here born into perfection? The good news is nobody participates, so even if you thought that, you're not raising your hand. So we're, all, we're still, I feel like we're still making progress here, you know. No, 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 we all have sinned, right, and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark of God's perfection, every single one of us. You know, every single one of us have fallen short of the, of the goodness of God on display in our life. That's everybody. There's no exception on planet Earth. Since the initial human beings were created, there has not been an exception ever since. We picked up the, the sin of the human race, the fall of the human race via Adam, you know, and, and we walked in it willingly. 
albeit we were slaves, but we still embrace it. There's, no, there's not one, no, not one, not one who is innocent among us. So here's the issue with this as we process what God has done for us, uh, we, we were sinners. It, it, it's, it's not as if we went to court innocent and then we were you know, acquitted of a crime that we didn't commit. See, this is the trouble. We, we actually were all guilty. Yet we stood before the judge and he pounded his gavel and we were acquitted of the crimes for which we were accused. An acquittal in and of itself it doesn't actually change uh, my guilt. It simply removes the punishment. <laughs> I'm still guilty. If, if I, uh, let's, let's put it in terms that, that maybe make sense to us. If, if I was a, a murderer... So in other words, I was guilty of the crime of murdering somebody. I had a crime of passion, you know, and things went south in a hurry. I stood before the judge, and the judge said, you're innocent. You've been found innocent. But if I'm not innocent, all that acquittal does is take away my punishment. I don't have to serve the time, but I'm still guilty. Pastor John Mark is like, where is he going with this? We're in trouble. We're, we're, in, we're, in, we're in bad shape. We're going right down the wrong way here. <laughs> this, is, this is where I think that most of the church ends up, in, in this place. And there's something on the inside of us, because how many of you know you've been made in the image of God? That means that you love justice, because He loves justice. Even if that justice is pointed back at you, and a lot of us, we, we get into the kingdom and we go, well, yeah, thanks for what you did. I, I appreciate the fact that you took the stripes that were, were, were designated to me. I, I appreciate the fact that you, that you died, that you buried sin in that cave, that you raised again, that you, that you, that you buried sin there, right? I, I, can, I can appreciate that you took my penalty upon yourself, but the problem is I was still guilty, and we take that sense of guilt you know, right into our walk with Christ, And, and we largely identify with this sentiment through this statement. I'm just a center. I'm a center. I'm a center of justice. No, I'm a, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm sure many in here have already said it. Perhaps you're even saying it right now. Maybe this is where you have arrived in your faith. I'm, I'm, just, a, I'm just a sinner Saved by grace. What does that mean? That means I was guilty before the cross and I'm just as guilty after the cross. He just took my penalty. And if this is where we arrive, we end up endlessly chasing some ideal of being good and yet continually falling short of that ideal. And, and we have proof texts for this, and this is where we, uh, people will pull up Romans chapter 7. We'll, we'll look at this in greater depth at, at another time, but I, but I want to read it because, you know, the, the reality is, it's like I was acquitted, but I'm still a sinner. What does a sinner do? That was your cue. A, a sinner will sin. So if I was a sinner before, and, and that hasn't changed, my acquittal just took my punishment, I'm still a sinner afterwards, then I'm going to continue to sin because a sinner just continues 
to sin. I, I endlessly strive towards something better, but I don't ever actually arrive there. In fact, the only thing I would submit to you that changes is this sin. Well, I'll submit to you that a lot changes. I'm presenting somebody else's argument, not mine. So bear with me. <laughs> Ron goes, Shh. I literally saw him just take a breath. In this argument, the only thing then that largely changes is the fact that I don't want to sin anymore. So I, I was a sinner. Uh, my penalty was taken away. I'm still a sinner. What's a sinner do? A sinner still sins, but now I don't want to. And so I live my life striving for an ideal, falling short of that ideal, but internally conflicted forever because now I know that I'm guilty. And again, this is where we get this proof text, Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 15. People will quote this, and here's what Paul says. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I'm practicing what I would like to do, but I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing that I hate. But if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. In other words, he's suggesting, wow, woo, that is loosey-goosey. Now I know not to point at my nose. You know, <laughs> there we go. I think I got it now. No, he's simply saying that the law uh, talk, it represented the righteousness of God. The, the law told me what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do. He's saying, I agree with it. I agree with what it says. I agree with the, what, the principles of the kingdom of God. Here's the problem. I'm internally conflicted now because I believe it. He's continuing. Verse 17. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing, is, the doing of good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. Sounds like Paul's a mess. But if I'm doing the very thing that I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find that the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in my inner man on the inside of me. But I see the, a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. The Apostle Paul is confessing here that he's utterly powerless. He's utterly powerless. He's internally conflicted, and he's not gaining victory. Wow. <laughs> Can I submit to you that this is not where the gospel stops? But for a lot of people, it is. For a lot of people, this is it. This is where you arrive. And, and that guilt causes people to want to try to now earn the salvation that they once freely received. But I was guilty. Let me, let me now prove to you through my own performance and striving that I'm going to do better now. Let me prove to you through my own performance and striving that I was worthy of your sacrifice. Man, listen, in our minds... <laughs> We weren't worthy of the sacrifice. And there's no amount of good or striving. Or, there's nothing that you could become that would, that would offset. The king of glory paid the price with his own blood and his own life for me. 
I'll be the first to admit he's worth more than me. Anybody disagree? So we live endlessly striving for some ideal of perfection because we're carrying the guilt of the old man around. Working, working our, our lives away to try to prove our worth, but it's something that's just not ever going to be attained because it's Jesus. But in one decision, without any respect to my performance, he did lay down his life for me. And something forever changes with that. See, that the, the gospel doesn't, doesn't arrive at this place where it says that God simply took away my punishment for sin. It's okay, you're guilty, you're a filthy sinner, you're a sinner before, you're a sinner after, but eh, I'll take your penalty. You know, you could just be absolved of the penalty. No, he also absolves me of the guilt. Remember, we're, we're not just acquitted. This is Romans 3 again. We're not just acquitted, we're justified. That takes the acquittal beyond the normal system that would just say, well, we, we found you, we found you not guilty, we're taking your penalty, but, but, I, but you, we know that you really were guilty, hey, don't worry about that piece. It takes us beyond that. It takes us into a place, do you, do you remember the definition from last week of justification? Just as if you've never sinned. Ponder that with me for a moment. If Jesus made you just as if you had never sinned, then that means the cross wasn't like a point in time moving forward. It was retroactivated by the God who is not inhibited by space and time. God literally flipped the script in salvation. <laughs> he no longer sees me. He has forgotten all about, of it, all about it. He's forgotten about who I was. Why? He's removed my sin as far as the east is from the west. He's flipped the script. He's, written, he's rewritten it. He retroactivated something. There was something so incredibly powerful about that, reminding you again that justification is just as if you've never sinned. If, it's, if I've been rendered just as if I've never sinned, that means I've been restored. That's not like somewhere in the middle there was this transaction and now I forever get to have this guilt. No, he, he looks upon me as one who, where this supernatural transaction has been released. You are not that anymore. And as far as he's concerned, you never were. Think about this for a second with me. If the sum total of our life is doing works, falling short, <laughs> consistently being reminded that we're a sinner, how is that any different than the Old Testament? Now remember, we're asking the question, was, has something happened now that I'm acquitted? Is there, is there a difference? Should my life look different somehow before and after the cross? If, if this is the sum total of my life, I'm just doing works. I'm just striving to try to be a better person. I'm, I'm striving to be like Jesus. I'm trying to work hard to get myself cleaned up, and I continually fall short. Why? Because I still believe I'm a sinner, and sinners fall short. By definition, that's what we do. I'm continually falling short, and I'm reminded in my falling short that I'm just a filthy sinner, then how does that make our present paradigm any different than the previous? 
<laughs> Hang with me. Hang with me. I want to tell you this morning that there's nothing that the cross didn't touch. There's nothing in your life that the cross didn't touch. There's nothing in your life that it fell short of. There's no stone that it didn't overturn. <laughs> I mean, Romans tells us the pathway that this crashing of the human race by the first Adam, who was a, a, supposed to be a type of Christ, that, that everything was actually restored, that we've all been reconciled, that everything's been turned back, that we've been rescued from the curse. Right? There's nothing that this cross didn't touch. There's nothing that this salvation didn't touch right now today in your life. You don't have to wait for it someday in the great by and by and strive your whole life for some ideal that's completely unattainable now until we finally escape this wretched life into the heavenly realm where we finally begin for the first time ever to experience the benefits of the cross. No! The benefits of the cross are for today, or you and I wouldn't be here. Otherwise, we'd be like, Lord Jesus, I see what you did, and I accept it. <laughs> what happened? I raptured immediately. <laughs> I'd like that better. But I didn't design the program. <laughs> see, this, this notion that we're sinners saved by grace, it might be a popular Christian idea, but it's not biblical. It can't be found, actually, in, in the scriptures. It's unsupported. As we continue in our journey in Romans, chapter 4 largely talks about being justified through faith. We talked about this briefly uh, last week, simply saying this was a gift. I didn't have to earn it, that Jesus did all of the work for me. He's invited me in to receive it. I don't have to strive for the rest of my life to prove that I was valuable enough. He already proved that I was valuable enough when he laid down his priceless life for mine, making me priceless. Do you hear that? I don't have to work for it. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to strive. I don't have to get everything right. <laughs> it's a gift through faith. Jesus, I believe that you are who you say that you are, that you did what you say that you did. I believe the history beyond a shadow of a doubt, and I'm applying it to my life and receiving the gift, the free gift that you release. That's what it's saying. Chapter 5 then starts out with a, a big fat, therefore... And it begins to outline the benefits of our justification. Let's look at that. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, so there's your recap of chapter 4. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to have peace with God? See, now we're talking about the benefits of our justification. What does it mean to have peace with God? It means that I've been restored in my relationship with him. It means that God and I are no longer at odds with one another. It means that I don't have to be afraid to enter into his presence anymore, that I might get smited by his big stick, but that I can run boldly into his throne of grace, right? We have peace with God. What does it mean to have peace with God? I've been reconciled to him in a relationship. Everything that was needed and everything that stood in between us was resolved. There's peace. All animosity, all issues, all the issues of sin that kept us separated have been fully resolved because our justification has resulted in peace 
between us and God and our relationship with him. We are no longer estranged. It also has a uh, more than a nuance, I would suggest. Actually, I, I, I think this is largely the better definition, especially as we look to the Hebrew equivalent of the word. But the word peace here also has a reference to prosperity. And there's a sense in which the justification of God made way for you to prosper in your relationship with God. What does that mean? That means your salvation was just a starting point. That you get to build from here into the discovery of the infinite goodness that he is and that he brings into your life and empowers you to be. Your journey begins at the cross. It doesn't end there. And I think this sentiment is described also, uh, the second part of the second verse, chapter 5, to be, if you want to call it that. He says, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Do you remember the definition of the glory of God we talked about last week? Right? It comes from Moses, remember? It's the goodness of God. The goodness of God on display in our lives. So we exult in hope of the goodness of God on display in our life. That the goodness of God, like hope, and it's interesting that he combines these concepts because hope biblically and, and in the original language is the confident expectation of good. So we have this, you know, and we exult, we rejoice, we're going to get really excited and really loud about this reality of what Jesus did because we confidently expect that the good the good God is going to be released in absolutely every area of my life. We are about to see something amazing here. It starts at the cross. We get excited about it because God is infinitely better than we can ask or think, that we can, even in our finite brains, even comprehend. We can't understand how amazing He is. And we get to rejoice in this reality that we have hope now. I have this confident expectation that I am going to see his goodness on display in my life. Another scripture calls it in the land of the living, <laughs> not the land of the dead. Right now. The Bible talks about being blessed in the here and now. Like, like how blessed are those who have, who have left father and mother and have forsaken everything for me. He says, blessed will they be right now in this present life. It's not a blessing that's reserved, although we can't. Uh, we, we have to understand as we arrive in heaven that it's infinitely better than we, than we ever thought it would be. You get that, right? So it's not like the best is right now. No, the best is always yet to come. The best is always yet to come. It always finds its culmination in meeting him in the heavenlies. But that's not to say it was reserved for that. Over and over again, we see the reality that what Jesus did, he did for right now and forever. <laughs> I don't have to strive forever to experience it. Only when I die, I get to experience his goodness on display right now. And that should make somebody want to shout. Yeah. Fast forward to verse 9, Romans 5 and verse 9. He says, much more than... Having now been justified, see we're still talking about our justification, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Really, this is another sense of the outworking of the shalom of God, the peace of God unfolding really, uh, excuse me, in our lives. 
But there is a real sense in which, I mean, you've, you've read the, how many have read the book of Revelation? I guess you don't have to raise your hand if I feel I'm like, oh, shame on you. I would never put shame on you, I'm just, just so you know. <laughs> you know, the book of Revelation describes the wrath of God being poured out against sin on the earth, right? So put this in your eschatological folder. The justification of God on your life has, is now and forever keeping you from the wrath of God that's being poured out against sin. So whenever you read, and the wrath of God was poured out against sinners, and there's a little nuance there in Romans 1, although even there it alludes to a day which that's reserved to happen. Side note. But we look through the book of Revelation, and they, oh my goodness, this is crazy. What's going to happen here? It's good. I've, been, I've actually been reserved from I've been preserved from that. Because I, as a believer, have been justified in Christ. I will not experience the wrath of God. That's against sin. I'm not a sinner any longer. Oops, I let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> God says he's being patient. We're waiting for his justice to be poured out fully and completely against sin, but he's being patient that all would come into the kingdom, that all would be saved. As many as who will be saved will be saved. But God's not slow in his promise. He's being patient because of his loving kindness. We can't mistake that. He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, quick in love. But then it goes on, how much more will they be saved by his life? So there's a couple of things happening. We've been reconciled in relationship. We've been brought into peace with God. We've been reconciled in relationship. And then it says, and we're saved. So two very different things, saved by his resurrection and his life. The, I, just, I love, I love when you dig in and you find discoveries like this in the word. The word saved here is the word sozo. Anybody ever heard of that word? It's to be made whole, spirit, soul, and body. It says here, how much more will we all be made whole to be healed spirit, soul, and body because of his resurrection life? you got to get this this morning. This is significant. Jesus did not leave you a messed up, broken, filthy, scabby sinner with no recourse for your ability but to be guilty forever until you finally get, you know, you part the clouds into heaven. That's not what the Word of God says. In fact, it says, how, like we've been reconciled to God, and I don't want to dismiss that because there's so much on that. Think about the names of God, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah Jireh, Yireh. Now you got that, just for Paul's reference. <laughs> You know, what have we been reconciled to? We've been reconciled to the fullness of his character, which means there are benefits in our reconciliation that go far beyond this small, narrow sense in which, oh, I get to go to heaven someday. So not to minimize that at all, but he says, how much more will we be sozoed in his life? That means it doesn't matter what kind of baggage you've got this morning. It doesn't matter what kind of brokenness you came into the kingdom. It doesn't matter how much money, what side of the tracks. It doesn't matter what you can. It doesn't matter how many bags. You're like, yeah, but I got more bags than that guy. Like, I don't care how many bags you've got. When you cross the threshold of the cross, he's suggesting here that via his resurrection, he's now releasing resurrection life to you so that you can have everything that you need to overcome everything that you once were and everything that you will face. You've been healed in spirit. What does that mean? That God is spirit. 
That means I'm in peace now. I have a relationship with him, spirit to spirit. I've been healed in my soul. Go back and look at Isaiah 53 and study it out. What does that mean? That means all of my emotional pain. That means that he has released everything necessary for all of my emotional baggage, all of my upbringing, all of the pain that I've had at the hand of leaders, at the hands of churches, at the hands of all of whatever it is, whatever X marks the spot is from you, it suggests here that in his resurrection life, he's given you everything that you need to be whole in the area of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And then he adds, because God is the God of wholeness. He is not the God who falls short of anything. He adds that by his stripes, you're also healed physically. That by his life, resurrection life was even released to our bodies. The word tells us that if the Holy Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of us, how will he not also fix this wretched thing? He will. He'll fix it. And he'll restore you spirit, soul, and body. He didn't leave you broken. He didn't leave you to figure it out on your own. He didn't leave you in your guilt. He removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. He washed you with his blood. You are not the same person that you were, even if you feel like it. I would submit to you, that's the lie you've got to crush. You've been empowered by the cross to become something new. This is what we're going to be talking about. You've been empowered by the cross to become something new, spirit, soul, and body. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You're a saint. (laughs) you were a sinner at one point saved by grace, but then he rewrote your history and made you just as if you had never sinned. You have no idea. I hope you're beginning to see it anyways, how powerful that is. Amen? Jesus, we receive it in. In fact, anybody who was thinking amen to the first half of this sermon, (laughs) rewrite the script in their brain. (laughs) Father, we ask that that our eyes would be opened, that the, the God who reveals things that we do not know, we ask that you would open our eyes to revelation, to this reality that even if we've been previously indoctrinated that we're just a, a worm, we're just a, a filthy sinner, we would come alive to your word that says that we're something different now. We would come alive to this reality that you didn't just die to reconcile me. You, you didn't just die to get me into heaven and spirit someday. You died to set me free, spirit, soul, and body. You paid for the whole package. And we give you the whole package this morning. Everything, every part of us, we give it back to you. We recognize you paid for it. We give you what you paid for, Jesus. We give you what you paid for. We lay these lives back down at your feet. We receive resurrection life in our spirit, our soul, and our body. The baggage that we maybe once carried is no longer an excuse because you've empowered me to be free. Even the sickness that perhaps we once experienced in our body, we receive your wholeness, Jesus. We receive your healing. 
any one of us standing, maybe even some who have been contending. We just took communion this morning. We remember your benefits, God, the one who heals all of our diseases. We submit our bodies to you, God, into your hands, your finished work, under the work of the cross. We plead the blood of Jesus and the broken body over these bodies that your resurrection life would flow through our veins in the way that you have paid for and intended. We receive it fully this morning. And perhaps there are people with us this morning who, man, maybe you've just been bucking at God and it's like you, you know who he is, but your life really hasn't reflected it. You've been kind of walking and doing your own thing. We've got an opportunity this morning as we again look at what happened on that cross to start over, to lay our lives back at his feet, to fully receive the finished work and to walk in a new way, to walk according to salvation, to walk according to the saved. But if there are anybody with us, and maybe online, who have never had an opportunity, you've never been told that Jesus loves you this much. <laughs> you've never been told that Jesus loved you so much that he dealt with spirit, soul, and body. That he dealt, he dealt with every aspect to make you complete before him. Then we want to invite you to give your life to him this morning. And we've got a prayer ministry team. I'll allow John Mark to come and to invite them and... We just encourage you, these guys are ready and willing, they desire to partner with you to maybe explain salvation in a little bit better way. But there's an invitation on the table for you if you have never received Christ to receive him and to walk in wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. We're not promised tomorrow, we have no idea what's coming. I encourage you, if your heart's being pricked this morning, to come, to pray with these guys, to give your heart to Jesus because the word is clear, he's the only way. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.